my uh, outline for today is really divide this passage into four parts. Uh, the test, and then Abram's response, and then the result, and then God's intervention. So we'll kind of work our way through that with this outline, and I have some few thoughts and <clears throat> things to share. Um, first off, let's kind of review the story. I think I have a map here. So Abram and his family left Ur, which is a long way. And then they went um, to Haran to the north. And then they, and, and then while they were there, Terah, Abram's father, died. And then Abram, as Tim talked last week, had this direct word from God and said, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. And he also gave him these pretty amazing promises. If you read up in chapter 12, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram leaves Paran and goes to Canaan with these promises, with this understanding. As Tim shared last week, he, there are several places he built an altar and claimed and, and called upon the name of the Lord and really leaving his everything behind, everything familiar and comfortable to follow God to an unknown land. And you'd think that Abram got to this place and said, okay, God, I took this huge step of faith. I left everything behind. I'm here in the land of Canaan, just like you told me. So I'm ready for you to fulfill your promises. I have no children. I'm 75. My wife is 65. So let's get down to business. Let's start having children. Let's start making my name great in this nation. And what does God do? He brings a famine. Wait a minute. God, that's not supposed to happen. You have these promises. Let's start bringing all these blessings and fulfilling. It's like, no, God has something different for Abram. says, I gave you these promises. I gave you this word. I want you to believe them. I want you to know how to trust me. I want you to know how to live a life of faith based on my promises. In order for that to happen, uh, our faith has to be tested, right? <laughs> so let's go on. So the f- <clears throat> in our outline, the first point is the test. What is the test? There's a famine in the land. So that is the test. Remember, God had told him to go to Canaan, and he's there, and he's experiencing a famine. And it describes later in this verse that the famine was severe. It wasn't like, okay, I missed a few rainfalls. It'll come. It's like somehow it's severe enough that Abram's wondering, how do I feed my family? I have these people that followed and came with me, and now we're hungry. (laughs) There's no food. We have these animals. How are we going to feed them? And so Abram's trying to figure out what to do, and it says that, he went down to Egypt to stay there for a while. So 
So the Bible doesn't really tell us if Abram sought the Lord or his counsel. It just says that there's a famine. He went down to Egypt. My, my best understanding is that he made that decision in his own wisdom and his own strength. And you can't fault him for making that decision other than he had this promise that God would provide for him. <laughs> and that God wanted him in the land of Canaan. And he was fairly new, really, in his faith and following the Lord. So be understanding he, he hasn't really been tested yet other than he did leave everything behind. But now he's in a place where I have this promise. What am I going to do with it? You know, it's interesting that <clears throat> this is a common experience where people make this, see this amazing experience from God, and then immediately they're tested. If you think of Jesus, when he was baptized and about to start his ministry, what was the first thing that he did? He was led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. It's also interesting that Abram went down to Egypt. This is really the first time we're introduced to Egypt. And it becomes the country that God really uses, the nation that God uses to demonstrate his power to the world. When he delivers the nation of Israel from slavery, from Egypt. It's also, if you read in other parts of the Old Testament, Egypt is a place where people try to escape for safety, for refuge, when, when God really wants them to, to not do that. So we, we see a lot of parallels here with Abram going to Egypt when he's tested. So one of the questions I think we can ask ourselves is, why, why does God test us? I like this uh, thought that I got from, a, um, from someone else as I was studying. It says, a faith untested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So it's easy to say, I have faith. But until you're tested, you really don't know if you can really have faith or not. Because you can, It's easy to say something. It's another one to to live it out and exercise faith and to exercise trust and make choices accordingly when you're tested. So, you know, God's tests, they're not random. They're not just to be mean or vindictive or to punish us. God's tests are designed for our good. God's testing is... Because he's a loving father, he's fully aware of every detail of our lives. And he's designed them to produce faith in our lives, to bring good through us. Do do we trust our father when life is hard? We live in a broken and fallen world. And I'm sure I could talk to each one of you and you could share with me some of the challenges and difficulties that you're experiencing. If you don't have any, I could talk to you next week, and you will, because that's just the way life is. <clears throat> it has challenges. It has difficulties. It's testing. And God has a design and a purpose for those. A couple passages that we can look at is um, Romans 5, starting in verse 1. And in chapter 4, it talks a lot about Abraham and his faith. 
And then Paul goes on in verse 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing promise. We're justified by faith. We're at peace with God. And all of this is through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, We've also obtained access through him by faith. We have access to God through our faith in Christ. Into this grace in which we stand. It's not our strength. It's God's grace. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we boast in the hope that we have in God. And then Paul goes on and says, not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Why would anyone boast in their afflictions and their trials and their testing and their difficulties? says, because we know that our affliction produces endurance. When we learn to persevere, when we learn to trust God in the face of our trials, in the face of our challenges, in the face of our difficulties, it produces perseverance. Endurance. And what does that prove? What does that produce? Proven character. That you can be trusted. God can entrust things to you because you've proven your character. Then it says, and that proven character produces hope. Because that hope isn't in ourselves and our ability. Our hope is really in the Lord. What he's able to do through us and the strength that he provides. And this hope will not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who is given to us. So God is using our trials. God is using our difficulties. God is using the testing. Really to produce endurance, to produce character, to make us more like Christ. And to teach us to not lean on ourselves, but to lean on the Lord. Another passage uh, about testing is James 1. Remember as a young believer reading this in college and thinking, this verse does not make sense to me. (laughs) Why would anyone do what James is telling us to do here? To consider it great joy. It's not just, okay, learn to endure, learn to be patient, learn to be thankful. He says, no, consider it great joy. My brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, I don't know. I'm still learning how to rejoice over trials. I think I'm getting closer. But sometimes I'm still like, oh, this is so hard. But the reason is that God is doing something. When we're being tested, God is doing something and producing something in our lives. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's that word again, endurance. It says, holding on. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete. Another way to look at complete is perfect. Not that we don't sin anymore, but we become more like Christ, lacking nothing. So again, I don't know what you're experiencing. It could be financial, it could be health, there could be relational challenges and difficulties. It could be things with our job. All these things. God is sovereign. God is using them. And God is 
accomplishing something in your life. And he wants us to believe in him. He wants us to hold on to his promises. He wants us to, to have hope. He wants us to endure. He wants us to mature. And sometimes it's really hard to do. Sometimes it can seem overwhelming. But God is faithful. And God is good. And God is with you. And God is for you. And we need to gain God's promises. We need to hold on to them. And we need to believe them. And be tenacious in our faith. And our confidence in the Lord. And that's what really perseverance is. Sometimes we're just by your fingernails seem to be holding on. But God is pleased with that. And we're, we're going to fail. I have failed. You know, I recently uh, celebrated my 60th birthday, and I look back, and I was like, oh, so many ways I lacked faith and confidence and trust. So many times I tried to do things in my own strength, my own wisdom. And all through that, God has been faithful. God has been kind. God has been patient, just like he is with Abraham, and he is with each one of us. So let's, let's go on to um, Abram's response. We'll reread uh, verse 10 through 13. So there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well with, well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. You know, the author of Genesis doesn't give a lot of detail here. What was Abram thinking? Why was he doing this? Obviously, he seemed like he was very selfish and, and wanting to preserve himself. Um, I think Abram didn't ask the Lord what to do in this famine. And so he made the choice to go to Egypt. And then that choice led him to make another bad choice to say, um, you have to say you're my sister, so I'm protected. And I don't know if you guys have done this, but sometimes when you make a choice in your own wisdom and you don't lean on the Lord, then it leads to making another bad choice that can lead to another bad choice. And pretty soon you're like, how did I end up here? What am I doing? And hopefully you can turn back and and get on the right path and trust the Lord. But it's easy to have one compromise or one mischoice out of lack of faith to lead to more. So <clears throat> um, don't really know what Abram was, was thinking. It may have been... I got this promise from God that I'm going to be a blessing to um, other people and there's going to be a great nation come from me. So I need to protect myself. And sorry if I have to put you in a bad place, Sarah, but this promise was for me. And I, I don't know what he was thinking or if he forgot, God, you said you would protect me. And you would provide for me, and you told me to be here. And so his rational is, I just need to preserve myself and my people with me. <clears throat> we don't really know what Abram was thinking, but we do can look ahead in chapter twenty, verse thirteen. Somehow, 
Abram and Sarah made this agreement while they were back in Ur that, hey, as we're leaving, you're very beautiful. I could get killed because of you being my wife. Please tell people you're my sister. In reality, Sarah was her half, Abram's half-sister, so it wasn't a complete lie, but it was still wrong and deceptive. And Abram's poor choice, and I would call it a sin, really put his wife in a difficult and challenging position. I think it's helpful to realize that our choices matter. Our choices have consequences. And if you're in the Lord, if you have faith in Christ, you know, we're going to stand before God blameless and with great joy. But it doesn't take away the consequences that happen in this world. We will still experience them. But yet, God has a purpose for those things too. God is so good that he'll even take our mistakes. He'll take our sin. And he'll take the consequences from our sin to really teach us and instruct us for our good. And so I'm so thankful that God is that way. So God can teach us that his ways are best. That when we try to do things in our own wisdom and our own strength, we'll end up in a bad place. And so we, we can learn, okay, as we're in a situation, how can I trust God? What does he say? How can I learn? How can I make better choices? We can also learn that um, that that God is so patient with us. When I think back on my life and all the stupid things I did and choices I made, how God is so patient and still at work in my life, and He is in your life too. Also appreciate just how much I'm forgiven. I think about all all my sins, every one of them. Jesus paid for at the cross. It's incredible God's love for us and what Jesus did. <clears throat> and those are just some of the things that God uses our failures and the consequences of our failures to teach us and remind us of these things. Because he's so good. So in uh, <clears throat> the next thing is the result. What what was the result that happened with Abraham's decision to go to Egypt? <clears throat> and to say that Sarah is his sister. So when, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. So at first glance, it looks like things worked out pretty well for Abram, right? (laughs) He kind of put his wife in a bad place, but then he got all these material things. 
But as we read on in Genesis, we, we come to see that these material things really caused issues in his family. So Cole will talk next week in Genesis 13 that there were too many things for Lot and Abram to stay together, so they had to separate because they acquired all these animals in Egypt. And things it talks about is he acquired male and female slaves. So later we'll read about an Egyptian slave, Hagar, and how that caused all kinds of issues and trouble in Abram's family. So on the outside, it seems like, oh, there's these all these material things that he acquired. But later, they really became an obstacle and more trials and more consequences that he had to deal with and experience because he made these choices and acquired these things. So God, God uses things for our good, even the consequences. So let's read on in God's intervention. Verse 17, But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now here's your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. So the Bible doesn't tell us how Pharaoh came to this understanding, that Pharaoh made a direct connection between Sarai and all the plagues that he was experiencing. And so he called Abram out. It's interesting. Here, here's this man, Abram, who just a few verses ahead had received these amazing promises in this calling. And then he's tested. And he fails the test. So he's a man who's supposed to be blessing. All the nations will be blessed on account of you. Pharaoh's household experienced some curses, didn't they? And plagues. Um, Here's a man who was trying to rely on his own wisdom and effort to accomplish God's promises. And God doesn't need our help to keep his promises. Here's a man who uh, put his family in a very difficult place because he chose to forget God's promises and trust in the Lord. Here's a man who is really rebuked by a heathen ruler, the pharaoh of Egypt, and said, what have you done? Why did you do this to me? And yet here's a man, too, that the scripture lifts up as a man of faith, as an example for us to follow. So it's so encouraging to realize that God uses failures. God uses people who have failed. God uses brokenness. So God was teaching Abraham some things. And he used this test. And he used his failure in his life. It's like God is working in our lives to produce character, produce faith, to produce trust. And we're going to fail at times. We will. 
And God knows that. But God is patient with us. And it's so helpful to realize that God's promises are not based on our performance. You see, go back up in Genesis 12. All of those promises that God gave Abram started off with, I will. And the I is God. And God will do things. And it wasn't like, I'll do this if you prove faithful. I'll do this if you obey. There are so many things that God has promised us that are based on his character and his performance and not ours. I am so thankful God is, God is for us and with us. So we read ahead to Genesis 13, verse 4. And it says, Abram left Egypt and went back to the altar he built between Bethel and Ai. And he called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram failed and he was rebuked. And what did he do? He went back to the altar. And then he called on the name of the Lord. He understood God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's promise. That's really what what we need to do when we fail is through faith and repentance to get back on track with our Lord. So to have a few um, application points, just want to encourage us with our, I'm sorry, I should do this quote first. By Warren Worsby is, is reading his commentary on Genesis. It says, As you study the life of Abraham and Sarah, you will learn what faith is and how to walk by faith. You will discover that when you trust the Lord, no test is impossible and no failure is permanent. So we're going to have an opportunity in the weeks to come to study and learn more about the life of Abraham through the spring and through the summer. And as we do this, I just encourage you to keep this in mind that he failed initially. But later, by God's grace, he really became a man who is looked to as an example of faith. And that with the Lord, no test is impossible and no failure is permanent. So a couple of application points. Um, One is just to seek the Lord. When tested, but really we should seek the Lord at all times. Um, How many of you ever did sports or music? Um, And how much you realized practice was important? You couldn't just play a game without practice. You couldn't perform music without practice. And what does practice do? It allows you to make mistakes. <laughs> it allows you to learn and grow. It allows you to do things when there's not the pressure, when there's not the performance going on. And if we try to live our Christian life so that when we have stress, that's the first time we go to God's Word, or that's the first time we pray, we're not going to fare very well. So we really need to uh, be in God's word. A couple of verses here you can look up. Psalm 119. David says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Second Timothy, you know, um, Tim talked about it last week, how God's word 
is, is, is useful in many ways for us uh, just to instruct us and teach us and rebuke us and refine us. Hebrews 4, is, the author writes that God's word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and able to pierce between the division between the soul and marrow and, and really help us understand our motives and why we do things. So God's word is so invaluable for us to really be seeking the Lord. And then prayer, you know, Matthew 7, Jesus says to seek and knock and find. And Romans 8, it says, sometimes we don't know what to pray. and The Spirit will pray on our behalf. In James 1, it says, if you lack wisdom, let a mask of God, he gives generously without reproach. So if we're going to seek the Lord, we need to be in God's word. We need to be in prayer. Really, we need to seek counsel and get fellowship. Proverbs. There's a number of Proverbs, but these Proverbs talk about how there's safety in, in counsel, getting things from other people. Colossians reminds us how important fellowship is, that we're together, speaking to one another in God's word, hymns, spiritual songs. Now, when heat is applied, when we're experiencing trials, we don't like it. So what we try to do is get out from underneath it. And often what we do is we fall back to old patterns that we're comfortable with or used to, and they're often not very honoring to the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we're doing these things, that we're in God's Word, that we have promises that we're holding on to, that we're memorizing, that we're seeking God in prayer, that we're getting counsel, so that when that heat comes, when that trial comes, we'll be able to endure. We won't seek comfort that's outside of God's will or God's plan. It's easy to do that. And so God wants us to endure. That's what he's trying to do. Um, I won't go into details, but I, in the last five, six years, there's been a number of trials in my life. And I think I'm learning to do what James says and to rejoice. I don't know if I rejoice exceedingly, but I can look back and say, you have done amazing things in revealing things in my heart and teaching me to rely on you through these trials, through these difficulties, because God is faithful. There's things that I look back in my marriage or even as parenting or pastoring in the church, and there's things like, oh, why, why did I ever do those things? But yet I learned from them, and I'm still learning, and God is gracious and God is good. I like this passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul, in the earlier in the chapter, verse 10, he's talking about the Israelites and when they're wandering in the desert for 40 years and, and how they're lacking trust and faith in God and, then he, and how they're being tempted. And then he says in verse 13, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So it's like whatever you're experiencing... Other people have experienced it too. You're not unique. You're not special. It's common to everyone. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. 
I like this. There's this word there. It says, but God is faithful. So in our trials, in our temptations, in our challenges, in our difficulties, remember this word. God is faithful. And what is he faithful to do? It says he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So God knows your limits. And sometimes he pushes you to those limits. But he knows your limits. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But he also says, with temptation, what will he do? He'll provide a way out. So that you may be able to endure it. God is so personal with each one of us. He knows our limits. And he will test us. And we will be tempted, and he'll allow that temptation to occur. He doesn't tempt us, but he allows it. But there's boundaries. <laughs> he doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. And he gives us a way of escape. So when we're experiencing trials and difficulties, remember that phrase. God is faithful. God is faithful. Second point of application is we need to receive God's grace, especially when we fail. It is so easy when we fail to beat ourselves up, to feel I have to be put on the shelf now. God can't use me. I just failed. That's not true. Yes, it's true you failed, but it's not true that you can't be used or that you're on the shelf. God used Abraham's life after he failed. God wants to continue to use our lives. And so what God wants is for us to repent, to turn from our sin, to acknowledge that we've messed up, and then to rely on his grace. It's a passage in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> and Paul is talking about, in verse chapter 12, that he had this thorn that he prayed three times. This obstacle, this challenge. We don't know what the thorn was. He asked three times, God, will you just take it away? My life could be more fruitful. I could do more things with you if I didn't have this issue or this problem. Or He calls it a thorn. And God says, no, I won't remove it. And Paul reaches this conclusion. He says, but God, and the, he refers to God, said to me, referring to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. So what happens if, <clears throat> with our trials, with our difficulties, with our failures, we learn how weak we are. We learn how much we need to depend on the Lord and his strength and his grace and the spirit at work in our lives. Otherwise, we become self-reliant and we, we rely on ourselves. And Paul is saying, and God says, my power is perfected when you realize how weak you are. When you realize how weak you are, then you, then you look to me. That's what God says. And then Paul concludes, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. God's grace is sufficient. 
for any trial, every trial we face. The problem is, with me anyway, I forget. I take my eyes off the Lord, I look at my circumstances, and then I make bad choices. Or I think about God's promise, but I say, I don't think it can be true for me in this situation in my life today. And I don't trust God. And I'm looking to myself, and I am so glad God is patient with us, and God is faithful. Again, it's part of life, it's part of this fallen and broken world that we live in. But we have a loving Father who's aware of every detail of our lives, and is actively at work to strengthen us, and to help us grow in our faith and become mature and complete in Christ. And so I just encourage you, as we study Abraham's life over the next number of months, to just learn from his example. And to remember that even though he failed, God still used his life. And we're going to fail. And God still is able and wants to use our lives to accomplish his purposes and bring him glory. I'm so thankful for that. So at this time, we'll...